Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. Today is a very special day. It's the final part of our series on building trust. Before we dive in and before I introduce my very special guest today, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button. Give us a five star review on however you're listening to this. Could be on Spotify. I don't actually know if Spotify have reviews, um, but if not, obviously iTunes do. So most people, by looking at the stats, tune in on iTunes. Give us a little five stars on there and drop us a quick review if you're enjoying these podcasts. And please recommend any episodes you want to hear, anything you're struggling with or challenges you've got in your business at the moment and all of that sort of stuff as well. Just before we dive in, please also go to brightpearl.com. They've got a free guide, which we'll be talking about quite a lot today and have been talking about for the last two weeks as well. The free guide, you'll see it on a banner on their homepage. Just go to brightpearl.com and it is all about building customer trust. It is the most important thing that you need to do to make a sale. All the obvious things are there in terms of pricing, etc. but you need to build trust with them. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And if it's the first time you tuned in or today's the first time you tuned in a little while, do go back and listen to the last couple of episodes. We had Neil from Trustpilot themselves here last week, a massive authority, obviously, on trust. And the week before, we had Marcus from Fairfax and Favour, who are a Shopify Plus partner based in the UK. And we had a conversation about how they build trust with their customers as well. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce somebody from Bright Pearl, and she's been on the show before. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you back. And like I was just saying, as soon as uh, as soon as it had been agreed that you were going to come back on the show, I did let out a little cheer because I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation last time. <laughs> and for anybody who wants to go back, it was back in, I think it was August, September time. And we were talking about what impact COVID was having then and what impact it's had since as well. We're not going to touch on that today, but it was great to have you last time, Sarah. So I'm super excited to have you back. Anyone who's listening and didn't listen to that episode or doesn't know who you are, do you want to just give us a quick overview of your role at Bright Pearl and how you came to be and in, in where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I I run our product marketing team at Bright Pearl, which means I sort of sit at this intersection between obviously product and marketing, <laughs> given the name. But I also work really closely with our sales team, our customer success teams to make sure that the way we talk about Bright Pearl on the front end from like a marketing perspective is really solidified by the experience that our customers have um, to really keep those things in line so that 
what we say we do, we actually do. <laughs> and then really understand the best way to go about using Bright Pearl so that we can then, you know, talk about that with regards to to new customers and understanding really just the impact that we can have on their business. So I've been there for about two years now. Love the world of e-commerce and retail, not just as like an avid online shopper myself, but I do just enjoy the space. It's constantly changing, obviously, even more so after just what's happened over the last year, which is crazy to even say that it has been a year almost. Um, it is. It's nearly over, though. Oh that, that's gosh. the good news. Yes, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think, which we is can. obviously very exciting. I think we talked about that even back in September when we spoke last. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I think this topic is one that... I'm really passionate about, and also, you know, we've done a lot of research at Bright Pearl, even in conjunction with Trustpilot. So it should be a really cool conversation today. Sure, sure. And again, for anyone who didn't listen last week, Bright Pearl also, if you do some digging around on the site, they do have a guide that they wrote with Trustpilot some time ago. But I checked the guide recently and, and looked over it with um, a couple of the guys in the Bright Pearl team. Still super relevant to what we're talking about at the moment, and same sort of challenges. It's almost every business comes up against the same challenges, just different circumstances, different technology, different age, et cetera. But um, yeah, certainly go back and check that. When I say different age and different circumstances, <laughs> the guide was written in the last two years. It's not like it was written 50 years ago. <laughs> Won't be astonished to find that Bright Pearl, Spec and Trustpilot, none of us existed back then. But um, <laughs> so, so diving in then, Sarah, let's, let's talk about building trust. So from Bright Pearl's perspective, how do brands need to go about building trust with their customers? Yeah, I think it's really important to sit back and understand like the market that we're in right now. And trust has always been something of relevance for shoppers, but COVID, I mean, just really like it did across every single aspect of, of commerce, completely changed that. And now over half of shoppers, it was 51% in our research, said that trust is the motivating factor when it comes to selecting where they want to shop and spend their money. It's actually even more important than brand name and even price. So this is why it's so important to understand how to get this right, especially right now. And really exactly why we researched this topic in more detail was to try and understand where merchants are losing trust and how to best go about gaining. And also then another topic that I hope you can spend some time chatting about is retaining that trust. In terms of building that trust, the guide that you referenced, Nick, that you, the folks can find on our website goes into a little bit more detail, but I, I, I sort of picked out the things that I talk about the most that I really find resonate with the most amount of brands. One of the easiest ways to build trust is by offering very convenient delivery options. And we know that mm. in any industry, convenience is the key to building trust, right? Make it easy for me and I start to trust you. But one of the best ways to really offer that convenience for retailers is through delivery and, and even pickup. Something like click and collect, which we also, you and I have spent some time talking about before in the past. And according to that research that we did recently, 79% of shoppers told us that click and collect is very important to them. And we saw a lot of, of e-commerce merchants actually really like get to the other side of COVID and, and weather that storm by offering click and collect. And we really saw like the, the convenience of that turned into more of a necessity, right? Like that's yeah, what definitely. kept so many brands afloat during this, this last year. But this will still remain 
even in a post-pandemic world, because now so many of us have experienced just how convenient click and collect is, and, and they're not going to go backwards from that. So I would say, you know, the delivery aspect is is something that's really important. Sure. And I think you've touched on so many points there that I think are absolutely brilliant. I actually had <laughs> a bad experience from a good website and good offering today. Uh, um, yeah. I ordered a product for the office because we're starting to come back in a little bit. I ordered a product for the office this morning and then an hour later, it was a coffee machine and the whole plan was to buy coffee pods for this coffee machine, but I was going to get compostable ones because I hate the idea of all the plastic and I know I'm the same. Nightmare. Yes, I agree. But then I realized I'd ordered the wrong machine and I'd ordered a Nespresso machine with their new pod design, but Nespresso were the only people making pods for it. But because it, it's the new design, they're not compostable at all. So I've just spent the last 20 minutes trying to work out how to send the product back before it's arrived. (laughs) So they've said it's going to be delivered tomorrow because I got offered good delivery. And I think, as you say, I think one of the interesting things is that a lot of this, and we will talk about retention, because I think retention is just a common theme that has been popping up again and again, especially when I talk to merchants. All the Shopify store owners are saying, we couldn't run our business without retention. And retention is the most important thing. But the ways they do it are not the traditional ways of spamming emails or just having the most beautiful website. It does come down to delivery options and, and how to find things. And I think it's it's all about, I should have sort of embellished a little bit where it's not just about offering like the convenience of those delivery options, but also getting that delivery right every single time. Yeah. Because I, in anything that we do in, in our world, I always remind brands to live by sort of this like under promise over deliver mantra. Yeah. And nowhere is that more important than in delivery. Because this is where like most of the excitement is around the buying experience is is getting that thing that you just ordered, right? And every single day that goes by, once you know the item has been shipped, that excitement increases, but so does that impatience. (laughs) And so today's consumers who are used to, you know, of course it wouldn't be an e-commerce podcast if we didn't mention Amazon, but who are used to the likes of Amazon, they really want that fast delivery and have come to expect it. But brands have really a responsibility to, manage those um, consumer expectations. And so if you can't execute on the two-day delivery, do not offer it. You really need to like set realistic fulfillment goals, create almost like the standard and then and then perfect that and see once you've got that figured out where you think you can make improvements and, and shorten that time frame. And then that's when you start to try an improvement. But if you if you shorten that time frame and and you realize that you're missing delivery windows like on a repeated basis, you have to go stop and and go back to your previous baseline because obviously shoppers want to get their product as as quickly as possible, but more than that, they want you to execute on the promises that you made. And there are actually well there are legal requirements in some countries. Like in, in yeah, the UK absolutely. we have a thing called trading standards. And if you say that this is going to be 50 pounds and it turns out they've actually charged you 80 and there's not a clear indication as to why, well, that's against the law. Or if you say, you know, if you were to put on your website, maximum delivery five days, and then, you know, if somebody ordered Thursday evening at like 5 p.m. On, and it's on like Easter weekend, so you've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all bank holidays, and it did not arrive on Tuesday, well, you, the customer's been missold. They're well within their right to request a full refund and you know that to be dealt with, et cetera, and all costs incurred need to be refunded. And I think it's, I saw a really bad example of fast delivery the other day where it said fast and free UK delivery. It wasn't free. <laughs> oh, no. 
It was free above a point, yeah. but actually the item I, I'd Googled and the advert that came up was, it was not free. And also fast. It said like five to 10 days. I'm like, that's oh, not fast. Man. That's really, really slow. Yeah, maybe slow. 10 years ago. Yeah, I don't right. know what world you're well, living in. but uh, It just made me think of another experience that I had too, recently actually shopping with Amazon when, for the listeners, I'm, I'm based in Texas, which I'm not sure if you saw, Nick, but like we had these have crazy winter storms. Yeah. yeah. And so we lost power and we lost water. It was a total nightmare. But in the midst of that, I was online on Amazon and I was trying to order batteries for my flashlight just in case, you know, we didn't really know how long we weren't going to have power. And I was on Amazon and saw that their prime deliveries were now they were saying in between seven and 10 days. Wow. And I was like, you know, obviously was I upset? Yes. I was cold and thirsty and hungry. So there was pretty much my baseline, but I also, what was interesting is I still ordered the batteries because I needed them one way or another. And I received them in five days, so two days earlier than they originally had promised when I when I actually made the order. So even though they didn't deliver in their their normal two day expectation, they still managed almost this like new set of expectations, and then they beat that expectation. And that's what we talk about brands needing to do. And so I guess on this same thread, what are in your experience? What are some of the things brands do? beyond what we've just said that make things go wrong? Like what what are some of the common mistakes, especially thinking smaller retailers that are growing quickly? Yeah. It's often where a lot of these problems start, but what are some of the things you've come across and simple solutions to them? Because often it's easily fixed once you found the problem. Einstein's hour of, you know, 55 minutes to assess it, five minutes to note down the clear solution. So what are some of the things that people make common mistakes where it all starts to go wrong with, with customer trust? Yeah, I think the the biggest consistency. So in each of these areas, you'll they'll have sort of their own nuances, but the consistency around each of them is that it relates back to like efficiency and whether or not they're using technology to help increase that efficiency. So a merchant is either not using any tech at all to try and solve these problems or they're using technology that just doesn't actually align with what their real needs are. And if you've done the research, like you had mentioned, and understand like where the problems are are underlying and then where they're existing, so many times merchants forget that there's tech out there that can help solve that problem. So yeah, just if I it think, says five days and it's going to be seven, just send a text. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sorry, there's been a delay. Right. And I think I try to relate it back to like building really like when I talk to merchants, I'm like, well, how do you build trust with your friends and how do you build trust with your family? And it's all about at the end of the day, executing on the promises that you've delivered. So there's that sort of like fool me once, shame on me or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me aspect to it. Like I'm only going to give you so many times, but that you damage my trust before I no longer trust you. And it's even harder sort of going back to like that retention aspect. You dig yourself into a hole if you fail to deliver on your promises. And now it becomes that much harder to get yourself out of it. And sort of going back again to your your question of, of where it goes wrong, it's the technology that's out there that a merchant can understand how they can actually help fix this problem. And understanding like how much background and requirement I need to do on my end from a merchant perspective to really fix this problem. So maybe like there's a merchant right now who's using some form of automation, right? A term we keep hearing over and over and over again, how we're going to automate our processes. But maybe that automation is not 
configurable. It's very custom, which means they need someone to come into their website and build code. And every time they want to change something on their automation workflow, they have to pay for that. And it takes time. And <laughs> so it's automated unless you want to change the automation, then it's not automated. Right. It's and then it's manual. a whole nightmare. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I really, you know, that's a perfect example of just understanding is the technology helping or hindering me. So in that instance, yeah, I have some automation workflow, but it's really, it's actually doing me a disservice. So really think about how that tech is there, how it can support or replace some of the processes that I have. And typically those types of issues that are happening that cause a, a damage in trust, they are happening after the buy button. And that's the stuff that we researched with, with Trustpilot is understanding where the, the disappointment lives and, and where some of those frustrations come where people are leaving these bad reviews is, is after they press the buy button. It's not the product that's causing problems. It's the processes that get the product where it's supposed to go. And I get it. I mean, these 12 months have been insane, right? Like they're dealing with some crazy demand and unpredictable demand. And and it's brands who haven't really thought about like the operational backbone that can support their level of trust. Those are the ones that are feeling the pain, I think the most right now. Sure. And something that something that popped up last week, actually, when we're talking to Neil from Trustpilot was, he said, why don't you think of your reviews you're getting, even the negative ones, and positive ones are great, but reviewing the negative ones specifically and focusing on those, and actually considering them like a focus group of customers, Rather than having to, it's something I've been banging on about a lot and not because I've never run one. I don't know what to do, you know, in terms of organizing a focus group. But a lot of the merchants we've had on store owners have said, I really didn't know what I was doing with the business. So I sat down in a physical room with some customers and asked them questions. And Neil made a great point, I think, that you can do that a little bit through Trustpilot, as you've just sort of said. It's sure. Where are customers being let down? And I think it's, a, it's important to make sure you have some sort of feedback loop with customers that's not just an open-ended customer service email. You're just going to hear about the really, really bad ones. It's not very useful. You need a, you need a sort of level playing field somehow to hear about a mix of different things. And actually, I, I, I was really let down by a retailer a while ago. And I have to admit, I'm wearing their shoes right now. Um, <laughs> but um, I ordered some shoes from them. They're based in Barcelona in Spain. So they were coming from Spain to the UK during a pandemic, etc. And what happened was, well, they didn't arrive and I hadn't had any notifications saying they'd left the warehouse, but they did say it was going to be a two day delivery. So my next step was to get on, you know, their Shopify partner and because of my podcast and stuff, I thought I'd be lenient mm -hmm. to them and I won't name and shame them on here. I have invited them on though. And they said they might come on in the next couple of months. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> but I emailed them just to say, products not arrived, what's going on? And they said, look, we're really sorry. We've just dispatched another pair for you and we've done express delivery and they should be with you tomorrow. Huge apologies. And because they were so friendly about it and so nice and they just sorted my problem, that email that I sent them, we are in the same time zone, but it was responded to in about 20 minutes. Wow. And I was slightly shocked. I was like, what? That Okay, that's quick. Normally, if you email customer services at a brand.com, yeah. you could be looking at days, weeks, hours, right, at least. minimum yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. And it's like, I think I even emailed them on a Saturday and they came out 20 minutes. We've dispatched some more for you to the point where two pairs did arrive. So I did actually end up with wow. two products, but the, 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 I don't know which one was which, to be honest, but one, the, the first ones that I'd ordered, it had been like two weeks. So they were definitely late. Yeah. But then I felt compelled because of the customer experience. I felt compelled to do two things. One was to go back to them and say, look, I have to be honest, you've sent me two pairs. I don't need two pairs. I also didn't want to wear the, I mean, they were exactly the same as well. So 
I don't need that. But I was also, I felt bad. I was like, what if they suddenly ask for them back in like six months time if they <laughs> there's a problem? I was like, I don't want to be found in trouble. I mean, I would yeah. fight my case, but they came back and said, oh, we really appreciate that. Here's a 20% off voucher with your name on it sort of thing. If you could send them back to us, that'd be great. And once they arrive, um, what we'll do is we'll let you know when we've got a flash sale and then you can get 20% off a flash sale item as well. And those flash sales are just for past customers, but I'll personally send you an email and two days later, she sent me an email from a lady called Michelle, flash set. I'm like, this was not difficult. That's just a support ticket system. That's all they've got, a support ticket system. And they're responding to stuff quickly. Yeah, it's that idea too of that that technology even within that support system email, like, you know, that they're getting notified quickly that a, a complaint has come in so that they can respond to it quickly in the instance that they used with you. And I think What's so cool, I'm actually really glad you brought this up because it's something I I hadn't even thought about to talk about today, but is so relevant, which is a lot of times when you mess up, brands are going to mess up. It happens. People make mistakes. You can actually end up almost gaining more trust from that consumer if you make it right in the right way. Like the fact that they did what they did to try and and gain your trust back, it was almost this level of like humility. Yes, we made a mistake or something went wrong. We apologize. And here's what we're going to try to do to make it right. And now, you know, that's, that's now a story that you're telling on this podcast. You're going to tell friends about it. You know, if you haven't already, maybe leave them a review on Trustpilot. Like that's the type of stuff that eventually becomes so powerful for these brands. So I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I want to I want to remind brands out there that if you've got a bad review or something bad happened, like don't give up. This is just is still even a really incredible opportunity to turn that experience around and ultimately makes it even more powerful than maybe it would have been if they delivered their shoes to you in two days. Exactly. I think, yeah. And I think it's, it's a really important point. And actually it's, ma- it's almost made me enjoy the product more. And I think it's an important point that how, as you say, I, I'd massively advocate what you just said about how you turn things around like we have, we have a bit of a motto in, in the business here is if we, we're going to mess up at times, it's going to happen. But as soon as we mess up, if we can just get the client on the phone quickly and have a conversation about this, then it just shows so many different levels of accountability and all the rest of it. And I know it's not, it's not easy in e-commerce. If your product right. costs, what, $5 a product and the average order value is $10, yeah. you can't afford to be on the phone all the time. But I do think there's a lot to be learned from this. So Bringing this back to Bright Pearl for a second, then how does Bright Pearl fit into this process? Like if somebody's sitting there thinking, okay, I've reached a certain point, I should be looking at an, op- an operations director at some point, or op- ops yeah. manager. Bright Pearl is a, is a piece of software I probably do need to get rather than just having a delivery company pick up some products and send them out and the customer hears nothing and it turns right. up on the door. Where does Bright Pearl fit then? Like who's it for in terms of like the lowest ends? You know, where's the barrier to entry? And in terms of building trust then, what, what are some of the things Bright Pearl does Sorry, this is an enormous question. <laughs> what are some of the some of the things that Brightpole does to then help connect that that bridge essentially between you know the consumer and the uh, and the brand? Yeah, absolutely. So I, to answer the first part of your question, as far as like where does Brightpearl fit, I think it's uh, it's the technology that helps you support the 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 business in terms of demand so like we've seen recently with covid there were these sort of sudden market changes right where almost overnight brands had to completely reevaluate what they were doing and at the start of covid we helped brands get online some of them for the first time ever within days so if you are you know looking to spin up a new online store for instance and you're not sure where to start like that process can feel really overwhelming and 
in addition to that, those those feelings of being overwhelmed is also you you have to get this right. Like you can't afford to to misstep here. And so we really worked with brands to get them online in a very reliable way. So from there, they could help then automate those workflows, like maybe fulfillment as just an example, so that they can keep up with the promises that they were making to their consumers, knowing that the right item is going to get to the right person at the the right time or the promised time. And that in turn is what helps encourage the good reviews and also to the point that Trustpilot has made before, mitigate the bad ones, right? And And really create true trust that then contributes to retention because consumers want to come back and shop somewhere where they can trust to deliver on either what they've been promised or, and your example, even that you used, can deliver even when they make a mistake on that promise. And so Bright Pearl is there to to act as a tool that helps a brand deliver on that promise. And we do that through things like syncing up all of your orders and your inventory so that as you sell across multiple channels, you're not overselling sure. or misselling, that you're not having out of stocks, you know, the frustration that it is experienced, not just from a consumer endpoint, but also missed sales opportunities, right? Those types of things. I mean, that's the worst. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. If you've got if you've got a buy ready customer and you've done all the hard work in SEO and PPC and web design and they get there and it's out of stock. It's like, what? <laughs> no, I, Nick, this, it's so funny when you were talking about your shoe story, I thought you were going to go in a different direction, which is when I just recently went in and I was trying to buy a pair of boots. I found the perfect pair. I buy them. They say they're going to be here in two to four days, four days go by. I still haven't gotten the email that says that it's been shipped. So I reach out to the brand ask for an update. I don't hear back from them until 10 days after I made the order. Wow. And then on the 11th day, I get an email that was so condescending. It was like at the top, it was like, oops, sorry, we messed up was like the subject line. And inside the email, it was the the product that you ordered 11 days ago, we actually oversold and you're not going to be getting it. And I was so frustrated. Like the fact that I had to be the one to reach out and sort of identify that there was a problem. Then they then finally sent the email with no sort of like, here's a 20% off coupon to say we're sorry or anything like that. And so what I did... The fact they let you make the purchase as well, like just stop it at source. Exactly. <laughs> and then didn't identify it for another 11 days. Like that's that's a problem. And I'll tell you what... I will never shop with that brand again. Like I'm, th- th- I don't need to. There's so many different shoe companies out there. Why would I ever that make the same black Chelsea boot that I'm looking for? Why do I need to go to, you know, to this brand? And I decided to, I actually left a review. And when I went to go leave a review, you can sort of search through, you know, common key terms or whatnot. And I'm this, I'm not the only person that this has happened to. Like this is, there were multiple reviews where people said they experienced something similar. So this isn't a, a problem that's unique to just, you know, a sort of one-off scenario. There is a consistency that has been identified and still this brand has not chosen to address it. In a lot of ways, it's such a simple thing to fix with the right technology. And that's that's the story that we try to support at Bright Pearl on how we can really, you know, be a, a tool that helps build your business. Sure. And I know from working with so many different marketing teams, marketing directors, marketing departments, et cetera, and even sales teams, 
if the delivery isn't there, they literally start asking the obvious questions of, well, what's the point? Like, should we just stop selling if we can't fulfill? I think exactly. it's... Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, let, let's move on to the next bit because something we did talk about last time that I want to cover sort of briefly, but in a very different context is COVID and the fact the world's currently locked down in lots of countries, and but soon it's not going to be. You know, we've yeah. got vaccines. We did say this back in September and it's been a bit longer than we had hoped back then, but it is <laughs> happening. But I think... You know, the, the world at some, it's not going to be like this forever. It is going to open up again. Yeah. So when the shops do open, what does the future look like then for online and offline and building trust? Are you guys predicting a bit of a things are going to merge a bit more together and they're online, offline? There'll still be a lot of click and collect, but it'll be in store or vouchers for collecting in store, which quite a few stores in the UK do because then you're yep. in their shop. Exactly. So what, what are your thoughts on, on kind of next, the next, the next phase for retail? Yeah, it's definitely a merged experience. I, I actually, I would anticipate that within the next few years, we no longer refer to them as like online and offline. It's just going to be shopping. Like what what we're doing is we're shopping, whatever medium we're using, it doesn't matter. They they all need to be overlapped and consistent with each other. And, and sort of the term that many of us used even pre-COVID was the importance of omni-channel, right? Like yeah. multi-channel to omni-channel, this was a, a big focus. But we also... We thought that we had a couple years, I think, to like fully transition to the the total acceptance of that model. And we saw a lot of brands focus almost like exclusively on either offline or online shopping. And they were still doing well, like regardless, even if they didn't have a big e-commerce presence, if they were, you know, powerful within their brick and mortar space, they were successful. But when COVID happened, where in the first two months, I'm sure you've heard this stat, e-commerce grew by the same amount as it did in the previous five years. <laughs> so yes, like <laughs> I did. Well, we had Shopify themselves on the yes, podcast they were Christmas. A big proponent of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And UK alone in Q2 of last year, so that's from April till end of June. I'm just doing my maths in my head. That is correct. Between <laughs> April and June last year, they doubled the volume of Shopify stores. Oh, so it wasn't a doubling in growth of revenue and it, just a doubling in the amount of online. stores. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it was those brands that that realized how important it is to really diversify the way that they sell because suddenly like if one of your channels is completely shut off, what what do you do? And so we saw when we talked to a lot of our customers at the beginning of the pandemic that like their, yeah, their brick and mortar location completely shut down. And I reminded them that as they look at post COVID and in the world of vaccines, they're saying, okay, I'm getting rid of my brick and mortar location and I'm only going to sell exclusively online. And I have to say like, wait a minute, you're doing the same type of situation, but it's in reverse. They're putting all of their eggs into the e-commerce basket and ignoring some of the power that still exists offline, especially for like the certain type or right type of consumer or products. You know, you've got beauty brands and things like that where people really like to like touch and feel the product. You don't want to eliminate your brick and mortar presence. Now, if you can't afford a full, you know, storefront, then maybe you're looking at pop-up locations or you're merging with a partner of yours to share some, some store space, whatever that is it's important to understand what it is that you sell and how your consumer likes to buy. And I talked to them about how as this world and it, it opens back up, this is no longer like an either or scenario. These worlds overlap. And so I think it's about how you want to blend those two experiences and, and where the strengths lie in each of those. Like 
what the pros are of offline and, and online, but then how to merge them together to create something just much more holistic. So why do consumers like to shop with you in store? How do you mimic that online and vice versa? And technology obviously is a key to that when you've got things like virtual reality and things that are going to become more and more prominent. So understand like what the the technology is and whether or not there's even something out there that you haven't thought of yet, but that does exist to really help with that strategy. It's going to be interesting, whatever happens. As always, right? <laughs> it's always just so always. interesting <laughs> to see what happens. There's, You're totally there's right. Definitely, I mean, there's definitely going to be a split. There's going to be people that go back to their old ways and I sure. want to sit on a sofa that I buy or a couch, as you guys call it over there. And it, yeah. I think, you know, there's, I think there's definitely going to be people like that. But I think the online offline worlds are going to merge so much. Like I've seen physical stores that I've been in that have said, look, this, this is our stock here. We've got one of each. So if you want to order one, it arrives at your house. Yes. You know, it will arrive tomorrow morning if you order before 5 p.m. today. That is how the whole business is structured. But yeah, you need to order it today. But it's, yeah, you can't take it away with you on site today sort of thing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been interesting as well, just seeing how businesses have responded to that. And I think... I personally will be using Click and Collect a lot more because oh, some same. days I don't I don't quite know where I'm going to be some days. And that's during a pandemic where I'm supposed to be locked yeah. in at home. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> think what it's going to be like when I am running around and there's like there's a Click and Collect place just near the train station. And in, in London, the only way in and out of London really is on the train, you know, if you're based where we are. And there's a Click and Collect place next to the train station. So if I get it delivered there, A, it's near my house. B, I can pick it up as I'm walking past because it will be there for seven days. And I think I think things are definitely going to change, but that's where given that it's not just going to be delivered to your house next day or scheduled, there's going to be lots of other options. People need, absolutely need to keep a very, very close track automatically of where stock is, who's ordered what. And as you say, just make sure things go out of stock when they are out of stock on channels or, you know, and one of the things just as a quick tip for everybody on a marketing point, if something does go out of stock, you can build onto your website to have a email me when it's back in stock. And there are apps on Shopify that will do this for you. And then, I mean, I've used it a lot. I used it to buy a TV, which I've been talking about a lot on the podcast, actually. (laughs) I bought a TV back on Black Friday and it was out of stock the day of Black Friday and I was gutted. The day after, though, it came back in stock and I got an email like 6 a.m. And I ordered that TV straight away. It got exactly the one I wanted. And then by the time it was eight o'clock, the TV was then out of stock again. So again, a little tip, I would absolutely recommend little things like that. That's what you're doing in two ways. One is you're getting those customers back in. So if something is popular, like your Chelsea boot, Sarah, you tried to order, if that comes back in stock and you've got a list of people ready to buy it or keen to buy it, you're going to sell more of them. Plus, whether it comes back in stock or not, you've now got an email address. People could be signed up to hear about product updates and all that sort of stuff. I've used that plenty of times, even on the consumer side myself. And it's in a a world that's so busy where I'm not going to consistently think to go back and check stock over and over and over again. It just makes my life so much easier. And in turn, I'm, you're building trust with that consumer, right? As the brand, like, so that is hugely powerful. And I would argue even, we've talked a lot about fulfillment and I can't believe I've gotten, you know, through the majority of this podcast without once saying the word returns, but that is also something that needs to be considered during all of this as well, because returns will still be at the forefront of the challenges that every merchant faces, particularly as people are not in shopping in a way that lets them sort of try on the product before they purchase it or utilize it before they do. So 
keep that in the back of your mind as well and, and managing the returns process and what that looks like to create and build trust with your consumer. Is it done quickly, efficiently? Am I getting my money back in time? Is it free? Do I have to pay for it? How quickly does it take for you to process that return? All that kind of stuff also contributes directly to the overall buying experience and, and really building and retaining that trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think la- last question then, just something to touch on now. And we've we've kind of spoken about this loads anyway, is retention. Yeah. Let, let's, let's go down the road of preventing retention because I think that's interesting, almost as interesting as keeping retention. But we talk a lot on how to retain customers, getting a second order, building lifetime value. What are some of the things you want to avoid where you could do all the best stuff, the product's great, emails are great, et cetera. What are some of the things that that we've not mentioned already around delivery and things, what are some of the things that could really turn off a customer so they just don't retain, they don't come back, they don't buy again? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. I think the delivery, the fulfillment, the way that you want to offer pickup options, those are all going to be huge areas of of opportunity. And what we see on the Bright Pearl side is actually it's returns that end up causing the most frustration. And it goes back to that point that I made earlier, which is the most exciting part about a buying journey is getting your product, right? And you you almost have this high in your, your brain that you're experiencing when you first get that thing that you've been waiting for. And you immediately go down to a low when you realize that it's, it's not what you wanted or what you expected or what you really need. And so they're now in sort of like a negative space mentally, that consumer. So it's that much more important that you provide them with a, an efficient process when it comes to returning because they're already sort of on their back foot. And I see brands get this wrong time and time again. And as a result, they're, they're actually losing money from that first sale. So they didn't even get the first sale because now the product's being returned. And they're also damaging the consequence of the second, the third, the fourth sale, right? And with, with whenever I talk about retention, I talk about acquisition and the rising acquisition costs that we're, we're challenged by in retail, which has doubled in the last five years, which is just like, I haven't even, I should check myself on that stat. I'm sure it's even higher because that was about six months ago. And with COVID and whatnot, I'm sure that probably amplified it, but it's going to go up and it will continue to do so. So that means merchants have to, to, get that that second, that third, that fourth sale back from a consumer. And you're not going to get that future sale if you if you disappoint them during the first one. And just to tie it back all again to even worse, when a consumer does have a bad experience, they're not just going to tell their friends about it. They're not just going to talk about it on a podcast, but they're going to go tell strangers on Trustpilot. <laughs> you know, they're going to get online, they're going to leave a review that then future shoppers will check those before they even make a purchase. So that influence is really strong. And it's not just understanding like the impact that trust has on gaining new customers, but also on retaining existing ones. And that's, I mean, those are your two sides that you have as a brand, right? You are acquiring new customers and you're retaining existing ones. And if you fail both of those, then there's not really anywhere else to go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I think I, I always use the analogy of like a water wheel where I think I used the analogy of a snowball recently on the podcast. I think slightly better actually where adding new customers is like adding a bit more snow to the snowball and it yeah. just keeps growing and growing and growing. The problem that a lot of brands have, and we see it in their Google analytics where they have no email, no repeat visitors and all their revenues just coming from Google PPC. So even returning customer journeys are essentially a new customer journey anyway, which as you say about acquisition costs, you don't want to pay that every time if you don't need to. Yeah. The reality is most people don't need to. So 
we see it again and again where people are so busy trying to acquire customers. If 10% of your revenue was new customers, but 90% every quarter, every year were returning customers, you've got a much easier life ahead of you. And you can spend a lot of your time working on the product and the fun stuff, the things you enjoy. Exactly. And I think there's, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because we had a lot of people who at like the height of the pandemic, we had some, some brands who were doing really well. They had the right product that fit, you know, the need and the demand at that time. And they came to us and they said, look, we're growing like we never thought we would grow and, you know, faster than we ever thought we could do it where should we spend our money? Do we focus on acquisition? Do we focus on retention? And I know sometimes it's it's tempting to focus on acquisition because it tends to be more of like the fun, sexier stuff, you know, to focus on. And there's some really cool apps out there on Shopify that you can add to your store that support that. But at the end of the day, you are nothing without retaining customers. And so we reminded them to, to focus on understanding the things that they can do to encourage and and make it easy for that customer to come back and shop from them again and again, because that is ultimately the the foundation of your acquisition. And so it was sort of a fun story to tell. And I think a lot of the, the customers that we work with looking back now where demand has maybe lessened a little bit and they're in a really good place, like profitability wise, ROI wise, all that kind of stuff, average order volume has increased that wouldn't have happened if they put all you know their focus into the acquisition side. So it it matters and it's definitely worth paying attention to and, and really understanding. Definitely, definitely. Well, look, we'll call it a day there, Sarah. Again, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. So thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. And I just, I really appreciate it. I could talk about this for hours, but I know I, I there's a lot of more recommendations that we have too, as, as far as what sort of quick and innovative ways that you can do to build that trust. And you can do that by looking through our guide. If you just Google uh, Bright Pearl Build Trust, or you can check out our website at brightpearl.com. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's been great to have you. I hope for everybody listening at home or wherever you are at the moment, I personally listen to podcasts in the car, but wherever <laughs> you guys are at the moment, I hope you're staying safe. Thanks for tuning in. We, As I said a few weeks ago, we're seeing record numbers on the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Check out our Facebook group if you haven't. Just go on Facebook and search Winning with Shopify. I appreciate there were a couple of weeks where we weren't approving people simply because there's a miscommunication between me and a couple of the people in the team as to who was clicking the button. So apologies, but uh, <laughs> that's now open again. Please do post in there if you guys need any support, any help. There's a whole community of people helping each other on Shopify. We'll be back again next week. Um, I'll be perfectly honest. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week, but there's five different ideas being floated about. And one of them is about the world waking up again post COVID. So we'll see what's happening and we will definitely be back next Friday. So do tune in for another great episode. Um, and we hope to have plenty more amazing guests for you over the next few months as well. So thanks for joining us. Hit subscribe if you haven't, and we'll see you again next time. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time. <laughs>